0: My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber, I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer, and you're listening to Not Overthinking,
1: the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello and welcome
0: back to Not Overthinking. Taymor,
1: how are you doing today? I've had quite an action-packed weekend, to be honest with you. I had a friend's, I had a sleepover at a friend's house yesterday. You
0: slept over at a friend's house?
1: Yeah. Was that sarcasm? No. Oh. Yeah, I had a sleepover at a friend's house, and then Mm. this morning I had breakfast with someone. A female friend? Uh, no, these were males, and then I had a birthday party of a female friend uh, that I just came from, which I left early to record this podcast. Oh wow! Which is a level of dedication that I rarely see from you when
0: it comes to the podcast. I consider myself more the ideas man mm-hmm. <laughs> for the podcast, <laughs> really. <Yes. Yeah. laughs> okay. Whereas you are more the execution man. I see. Okay. I think it's important, important for someone to think strategically about the business, <laughs> and someone to do the work. Right.
1: <laughs> you're the high level guy. Exactly. Yeah. No, but yeah, I had a pretty jam-packed weekend. You had a eventful weekend yourself.
0: I did. I went to visit Oxford without you. Wow. Um, it was pretty good. We went to Bicester Village yesterday, which is like some shopping center place. Yeah. I sat in a uh, restaurant for a few hours and did some writing. Nice. I actually have a, have a I've I've got a good insight from this. Oh, wow. Um, should I say it now or should I save it for the end? You can say it now. Okay. So this is going to be the, the subject of my email newsletter this evening. Um... So picture the scene. I'm sitting in the Wolseley Cafe, kind a Wolseley restaurant, which is like a somewhat high-end restaurant thingy. Okay. And I've ordered some lunch and then I order some coffee afterwards and then I order some cream tea just to justify my being there for a long period of time. Mm. I'm doing some writing on my iPad Pro with Magic Keyboard, hashtag not sponsored. Yep. And I get quite a lot of work done. Um, it'll sort of the writing stuff that I'm doing is fairly cerebral in that in terms of out, the output of words, it's actually not that much, but mm-hmm. I've made a few breakthroughs on, on on the projects that I've been working on. And then, obviously, because I was drinking loads of coffee, I had to go to, to, to the little boy's room afterwards. Mm. And when I was in the little boy's room, I took my phone out and I was browsing through Instapaper, as I as one does. Yeah. Um, yeah, when when one is not interested in browsing through TikTok, and I came across an article. Have you come across a dude called Neil Nanda? The name rings a bell. He's like, um, so he did maths at Cambridge a few years ago. Graduated recently. Now works at Jane Street. Apparently, someone uh, sent me his famous, blog. Recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Famously like top tripos, apparently in maths. Um, and he's got this blog. He's mm-hmm. like super rationalist type, dude right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Writes yeah. a load of like blog posts about the stuff. Yeah. So I discovered his blog like a few days ago, and I've had some of the the articles in Instapaper. And his most recent one is called something like "Your Standards Are Too High," and he talks about the feeling of sort of general dissatisfaction plus guilt that kind of certain people feel just generally for feeling like oh i haven't done enough today yeah type of yeah. thing and we're kind of breaking down why that's why that's a thing oh nice and i was like damn this is like uh, real stuff because while i was sitting there I, I kind of had my own just generalized sense of dissatisfaction that oh i could have done more today okay and it was to the point where i didn't even notice i had this general yeah. feeling of dissatisfaction just because it's such it's so normal for me to, yeah, like yeah there are so few days where i actually think oh you know i'm actually yeah i quite proud of yeah, the amount that I've, I've done an honest day's work i've done an honest <laughs> day's work <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> otherwise today i was like well i mean i guess i could have written some more i didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. i didn't get all of the bits done that i wanted to do oh i'm a kind of waste man and yeah. I, I i just kind of accepted that kind of yeah analogy. yeah that's a very i think it's a background mindset that i have as well i think yeah. most people have. It. um and in this post and a few that he linked linked to it on other people's blogs there was just like this real this really hot take is that you know you know that uh what like the amount the, the amount of work you've done like thinking about it in one way or another won't change the amount of work you've actually done. Mm. But you can simply choose to feel satisfied with it rather than dissatisfied with it. Yeah. And that was actually a revolutionary insight because I was like, damn, like while I was sitting here on, on this toilet in this yeah. <laughs> top floor of the restaurant thinking, damn, I could choose to just feel satisfied about the amount of work I've got done today. Yeah, And just, just seeing that phrase sort of gave me a bounce in my step for the rest of the day because I was like, oh, I've actually done a decent amount of work today <laughs> mm. rather than choosing to tell myself the story yeah. that I'm a waste man, I could have done more. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's great stuff. This is something I've been battling with for... Uh, it feels like, especially the last few weeks, but I think just like for a very long time now. Mm. Uh, the thing that I find quite worrying is that there's, there's been a, a few moments, a few fleeting moments in my life where I feel like I can truly rest. Uh, mm. let, let me paint the picture. Do you remember in, uh, in Naruto, when Naruto just... So in the anime Naruto, there's like a big fight where uh, Naruto kind of beats the main bad guy, Pain, um, oh, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, basically, I mean, he's just about survived this thing, and he's sort of like, you know, almost out of energy, and he's just kind of like walking back to the leaf village, you know, through the forest or something, because he's just like beaten the baddie. And then like Kakashi, his sensei, he like appears, and then Naruto like rests on Kakashi's shoulders, and then like Kakashi walks him back to the village. And there's a sense of like, you, you get the sense that Naruto uh, is sort of at peace and at rest. He's like accomplished his thing, and, uh, and it's all good now. And I've I've had that fleeting sensation a few times in my life, and whenever I have it, I think, well, firstly I think, oh man, that feels good, and then I think, wow, why can't I feel like this all the time? I'm I'm doing something seriously wrong if I'm not going through life generally feeling that way. Mm. I think like the first time I had it was when I uh, when I got into Oxford, bit cringe, but I you know I think for that day and maybe a couple of days afterwards, I felt like you know I could truly rest or so, something like that, you know. Um, and then, yeah, they've just been like various bits. I remember when we, when we just wrapped up fundraising for, for causal about a year ago, um, that was quite a long, and it wasn't that long, but it was quite a sort of high stress process. And when that was all done and dusted, there was like a feeling of, Ooh, I can like breathe out now kind of thing. And whenever this happens, I just think, man, like it's, this feels nice, but it's, it's so stupid that I'm going through life, Mm -hmm. not feeling like
0: this all the time. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, I think Like the the feeling I would have sort of post exams often like in in summer holidays would be a feeling of pure rest relaxation up until the point where like I think it was only at university that I developed a thing of feeling like I had to do work at all times because I guess in school I didn't really consider like I don't know. For example, in the summer holidays, I would just like watch a whole season, a whole like series of Yu-Gi-Oh. That used to feel and, productive. Yeah. I was like, "Yeah, I yeah. watched like twenty
1: episodes today.
0: <laughs> like, this has been a, an honest day's work." Yeah, <laughs> watching twenty episodes of Yu-Gi-Oh GX. Um, and then at university, I never really had that feeling of rest because there was always more. You, you know, when you get home from lectures and stuff, there is always more work you could be doing. Hmm. You could always just be pre- preparing for that next next exam. Um, one thing I liked about work work is that at the end of the day provided i didn't need to get a video out and sort of when that started to sort of be on my shoulders i would often feel like oh okay i can actually just do whatever i want this evening and it was quite a liberating sensation but then all the other projects that i was taking on like the the the, the video and and things gave me this general feeling of oh if i if i'm not making a video right now then i'm wasting my time yeah um yeah so I've, I've, I've been thinking of the, like, like the past few weeks, if I set like my, myself a compulsory kind of curfew time, mm, <laughs> after yeah. which I'm not allowed to do any, anything that even looks like work to, uh, to anyone on the outside, because I might be like, oh, well, it, you know, doing a live stream on Twitch and redesigning my website isn't work, it's fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it might look like work to someone from the outside. So I wonder if I should have this sort of rule for myself. But I think it, it really is just the mindset change of choosing to be okay with what you've done yeah. rather than feeling like you should have done more
1: yeah I think like there's yeah I feel like most people can end up in a yeah most people are probably in a situation where there is an infinite amount of work that they can do, you know like for you, there's always you know all different projects there's always m- more videos and stuff in the pipeline there's always things you could be doing, mm-hmm. like you know doing a startup or whatever there's like always stuff to be doing, and you you're never going to like be on you know you you're never going to cross everything off your to do list and so I think lots of people are in this situation where the thing uh, yeah just by their life setup there's an infinite to-do list and you can kind of get caught in this thing of always feeling bad about not having ticked off enough things um but like do you think this will last because honestly like maybe every few months i read something or i have a think and i'm like no i'm gonna decide to be happy about this i'm gonna be i'm gonna decide to be satisfied with the work i've done and like these kinds of little hacks they work for a few days or something (laughs) but then they kind of expire yeah,
0: he he kind of talks about this in the blog post. I can't remember exactly what he says. Do you want to bring it up on his on his website? Like towards the bottom, he talks about how he's making, he's like actively forcing this to become part of his life. Hmm. Uh, I can't I can't remember exactly what it says, but see if you can have a read. It's like post number thirty five on, on his blog. Um, how do we, you we we should have him have him on the pod. Neilnanda dot com. Neilnanda dot N W E L. At the bottom of the first page. No, it's in like post number thirty five. Oh, okay. Yeah, your standards is too high. Yep hang on let me scan through it oh yeah he has some long elaborate thing about how he's going to collect data but, but like i said essentially i think what he's arguing is the standards we set for ourselves aren't calibrated to what we can actually get done right and so his main thing is collect data to become calibrated notice awesome days the days where you were focused throughout 90th percentile days where everything went right you feel satisfied with what you've actually done notice an introspect on the feeling of satisfaction and then record what you actually got done and the next time you feel dissatisfied with your speed and rate of progress, extrapolate out what you think you could have got done and compare it to this awesome day. Um,
1: so in your case, is it the case, like, do you feel like you're being unreasonable with yourself or like, I mean, for example, when I feel bad about not having gotten enough done, which is most days, I usually could have gotten a lot more done. Like, I usually will have w- wasted a bunch of time in the afternoon doing God knows what, you know, and no, same. Yeah, yeah, like I th- I like I could it, it's it's not like I'm operating at maximum productivity and I'm like oh man I could be doing more it's like I'm operating at fifty percent and I'm feeling bad about that
0: yeah i it's the same for me okay like especially on days where I I like don't wake up early enough right yeah 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 that, think, oh, yeah you know that's a whole yeah. morning gone yeah, and be like you know it. then I was just like yeah I don't know scrolling through Instagram or had a particularly long shower and now it's midday and so then I was like well I was going to do co working with someone in town at half past twelve so I guess I should drive to town now and, mm. and I literally like. Okay, and, and now we're in town. I guess we should have lunch and yeah. have a bit of a chat. And it's like 3 p.m. And yeah. And you're the like, yeah, like, yeah, like literally the day has not started at yeah. 3 p.m. Like, well, what is going on? Yeah. And then it gets like 8 p.m. And then I think, well, you know, people say that you should stop working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I didn't get enough done today.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. I struggle with this. I don't know what the solution
0: is. Um, yeah, I haven't figured out any sustainable solutions. Mm. I feel like just being more okay with... Well, actually, not getting like a large amount of things done, um, as in, yeah, the the infinite to do list. I th- I think it, like like for me it'll be a case, and I'm, and and this may be true for you as well of of actually of recognizing that actually I don't need to have my foot on the gas pedal at all times, um because even if I operate at fifty percent productivity or even thirty percent productivity, I'll still be absolutely fine. And like you know, this is real life. This isn't like a like you know this life is all we have, et cetera, et etc, et cetera. I should be enjoying myself while yeah, I do yeah, the yeah. stuff, yeah, and I do enjoy myself while I do the stuff that if, if, if it 's productive or if it 's unproductive it's just that that feeling of generalized dissatisfaction, that undercurrent of like uh i 'm a bit of a waste man. right I feel like i've gotten so used to it now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, help, it's just like' it's just a default state of affairs
1: I think you should do a youtube video about this i think I think this all this is partly what I mean about you know a few episodes ago when I was talking about the the sort of uh, the dangerous culture of productivity uh the productivity industry yeah I think like, you're, con- you're contributing to the problem by making all these videos that you make. And I think you can you can basically, it's like buying some carbon offsets. You can yeah. buy some carbon offsets nice. by like once a month you do a video. Yeah. Yeah, like,
0: real talk. Yeah. Welcome back to the Real Talk series. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Here's what I actually did this month. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I don't actually have a good notion set up. I don't actually use roads like this, you know, all this kind of stuff.
0: Ooh, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's a very good idea. Because, like, a new series. <laughs> I can add that to my to do list as well. Oh, God.
1: Yeah, I think the thing is, look, I, I think the, the root cause of the problem is, uh, is that we were talking with uh, last week with, when Lucio was on the podcast, we were talking about how there are different, uh, a few areas of our life in which it feels like it's dominated by theatrics and how like, you know, we talked about how a lot of the time you want to feel like you're doing work more than you, you know, you're, you're thinking more about like, do I feel like I'm doing work rather than am I achieving the end outcomes I want to achieve? And I think the feeling of, um, the feeling of like, oh, I haven't gotten enough stuff done it's mostly about, it's mostly about like optics and theater. It's mostly like, oh, I, 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 I haven't felt like I've done lots of work today. And if, if the, if you were measuring yourself by the true yardstick of progress rather than, um, work theater, I've certainly found that like the things that move the needle are generally, I don't know, like there was a, a one hour conversation that Lucas and I had with someone on Friday that probably was more important than anything else we did that week, and so like, you, you know, on the face of it, you might be feeling bad about like, oh, I wanted to like you know, write this bit of code or I wanted to like do this, but I don't know. In general, I don't think those are the th- you know, the things that actually move the needle. So yeah. it's, it's all incremental stuff that you can you can feel bad about, but it's not that important.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think for me, it's less a case of the, th- it's it's less a case of feeling bad about the theatrics and more a case of feeling bad about the actual progress. But I think the theatrics thing is such a def- it's such a sort of a default way of looking at things. It's sort of feeling like I have kind of outputted enough words, for example. Whereas, whereas like the other day, the thing I had to tell myself was, no, I've actually made some like sort of intellectual breakthroughs on this thing, which required me to literally sit there and think about the topic for yeah. four hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In like a cafe. <laughs> yeah. And now I've thought about it. Now the path forward is a bit more clear. So mm-hmm. kind of being more pilot than plane in that, in that particular context. Um, and so I had to sort of tell myself no it's actually fine like i don't need to feel bad about the fact that i haven't mm-hmm. you know written as many words as i would have liked yeah. what i can feel good about is the fact that now i've got this outline and yeah. you know i've done the intellectual labor so now should, hopefully it's easy sailing from here mm. yeah i'm always skeptical of work artifacts you know <laughs> like, as in like units of output
1: well a work artifact might be like oh i wrote a thousand words of something or whatever you know um yeah i don't know if i have any great insights on that but i'm sure other people are struggling with this um do you have any insights from your weekend in oxford on the social front
0: uh oh so last night was it last night um me and one of our other friends who i knew less well before this weekend um she and i played this 36 question game is this is the thing about like falling in love yeah right yeah it was it was really interesting when's the wedding uh <laughs> i'll tell you about that off on the record <laughs> um but no, it was actually very interesting. Uh, sort it of, it's like three sets of twelve questions, uh, and they get slowly deeper and deeper, and you just sort of open up and talk about yourself in a way that you wouldn't normally do in like, uh, in like any social setting. Okay. Uh, and I so so I feel like that definitely brought us close together, just like as friends. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, we did that thing where you have to look into their eyes for like two minutes, yeah, and not look away. And she was like super, super, super uncomfortable about it, like very, very visibly, almost theatrically. So, and I was just like completely chill about it uh i I, and i was struggling to understand why she was so uncomfortable about this thing seems obvious mate she had to look at you for two minutes (laughs) classic (laughs) very good (laughs) very good um no but that was good that's something i want to try with more people because i think and i think partly the contrived setting was sort of like the contrived nature of the setup Hmm. was part of what allowed it to happen because you actually wouldn't ask these questions just over a standard dinner. You have to have someone be like, you know, a third party being like, all right, guys, we're going to do this thing tonight. I'm going to sit you guys down. You're going to answer these 36 questions to one another. And then at the end, you're going to follow the instructions. Yeah. yeah. Sort of having someone sort of comparing the event. Right. Uh, and like so controlling I, things.
1: I've heard about this thing. And it's actually a few weeks ago, a friend of mine suggested that I should do it. And I've always been a little skeptical of it because um, I think it's because for most of these conversations like the vibe has to be right you know like
0: no i think i think i think the contrived nature of the setup is what
1: creates the vibe and it actually makes you both take the thing seriously and all of that stuff
0: okay interesting no absolutely i think if if, if you're doing it in the middle of a nightclub it's it's absolutely not the right vibe and you know even if you have a third party enforcing the rules yeah it's actually not going to happen but i think sort of it's it's more like one of those late night dmc type conversations or potentially a conversation to have over dinner. Certainly not a conversation conversation to have over lunch or breakfast. Yeah, that's,
1: yeah, that's what I mean. Where yeah. Like, you know, like nighttime, has to mood right lighting. To yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: the setting needs to be yeah. sort of relatively quiet, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, safe space. Safe space. Okay, I'll give that a go. Mm. Should we get on to the episode? I mean, I think we've got enough content for, for an episode. <laughs> how, how long has it been? Like 22 minutes. Uh, nah, we it's fine. can talk let's, about some more stuff. We'll let's more let's get stuff. on to the episode. What do you want to talk about right, today? Mate,
1: this week I listened to... There are some, look, there are some podcasts that you listen to, um, like the Radio Lab one about uh, rhino hunting, like the legendary uh, Farnham Street one with Naval, like Not Overthinking Episode 4. There are some episodes you listen to that just like change, change the game. Yeah. You know? Make and it by listen- kitchen bin. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I listened to an episode of, of uh, Econ Talk. You know Econ Talk? All right? It's a podcast about... But, let me guess geography <laughs> yeah i mean it's about it's kind of about everything economics kind of touches on everything right okay um episode of econ talk with uh a woman called agnes callard who was talking about a concept called aspiration uh so she's like a philosopher or whatever and this is this isn't this is not like just the english word aspiration this is like a a thing that she's defining as a particular kind of thing and this was like this was groundbreaking i, I was listening to at the gym. And it's one of those things where, like, if I'd accidentally zone out for 30 seconds, I'd have to go back because, like, it was just jam-packed full of just, like, mind-blowing stuff. Okay. Like, really changed my worldview. Like, okay. this this happens once a year. Right. If I'm lucky. And this was it. Okay. Um, so, she, um, she's a philosopher who spent a lot of time thinking about, um, basically thinking about how and why people change. Um, and this is something that, like, I've been... I always run into this. So like, for example, last week on the podcast, we were talking to Lucia about veganism and stuff. And I feel like in all of these conversations, um, these kinds of conversations, you kind of hit a wall where you recognize that the other person has one set of values. You have another set of values, but um, crossing that divide and changing your own set of values, it's it's never been something I can kind of reason about. You know, it just doesn't really work. Um, And so this uh, this whole book is about exploring like why do people you know why why and how do people change their values okay okay and so uh i have i'm, I'm only about a third of the way through but i'll i'll talk about some of the ideas that have come up so far um so one let me, let me just get the highlights up um yeah so like by values we kind of mean you know what what are the things that are important to us uh and she says that uh you know there's no doubt that we're influenced by external stuff um which is there's no doubt that our parents friends and romantic partners influence us deeply but they do not fashion us we have a hand in answering the question as to what things in the world are important to us and our answers need not be they typically are not arbitrary or random like we, we we all have like this set of values right um about what's important to us and we you know generally act uh, sort of w- with respect to those things um, and grasp, another highlight, grasping new values is hard for us because to paraphrase Augustine, our hands are already full. Like, you know, when Lucia's talking about, hey, this is my compass of like, I'm trying to minimize harm in the world, you know, for me, it's like, fine, that sounds great, but
0: I've already got my compass. Yeah. <laughs> Your <laughs> hands are already full. with changing are the way got... people think about uncertainty.
1: Oh, uh, no, 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 we're already talking about values here. We're not okay. talking about stuff like that. But like, it's, I think the difficulty is that we we all like have a set of values that we roam around the world with and so it's not you can't just like adopt a new value very easy. it's not like you can it's not like buying a new painting to put on your wall that you have like extra wall space it's like you already have a
0: set of values like how do
1: you how and why does that change
0: okay how, um, how are we defining value here um because that's one thing I I, I I often wonder about like when when someone says what are your values it's like well i mean what what, what does that mean so, for
1: example, like, one of Lucia's values seems to be that, you know, reducing human suffering is, like, the most important thing, basically. That's, okay. that's, like, a value. Okay. But it's generally just, like, in a very abstract sense, it's, like, things that you think are
0: important. Okay. Um, like how we treat kids and old people. Yeah, maybe things I have like some that? value or around, you know, I aspire are we to Are talking about, like, I think it's important to be nice to people generally. Like, is that a value? Like, I'm, I'm struggling to understand, like. Yeah, sure. It's, okay. I mean, yeah. Stuff, so, stuff you think is important yeah yeah
1: okay um and so i think this episode i haven't i need to read more of the book so this episode we won't talk about agnes's view of how this stuff works and she presents this idea called aspiration um but we can talk a little bit about how other people um have uh have thought about this right okay so uh how do i get
0: through my highlights more easily use readwise.io forward slash ali to get your 60-day trial of readwise which is very good because what it does is that it connects to your Kindle account and your Instapaper account and brings all your highlights into one place. Mm. Okay, so here's here's one. This is not Agnes's framework. This is a, a different framework from
1: uh, one or two people. I think one person whose surname is Ulman Margalit. So no, okay. well, thank you for that. Uh, so in uh, in Ulman Margalit's view, right? So Ulman Margalit distinguishes between small medium and big decisions that we make in life. Okay? okay. So small decisions are things that are, you know, basically arbitrary, you know, you're sort of staring at some boxes of cereal. Yep. You're trying to decide which cereal should I pick. Okay. Right. Um, and I think, you know, generally you like, you probably like to think that you make decisions rationally. And I think most people would say that, yeah, you know, as far as you can, you should try and make decisions rationally by trying to you know, maximize whatever utility function you care about, right? Um, <clears throat> and in, in, uh, in Ullman-Moglitz framing, um, for small decisions, there's no, there's no actual way of rationally making a decision. It's just like super arbitrary. Like, should I pick that color or that color? Should I pick that zero or that zero? And so with these kinds of decisions, we're not really using reasoning or our mental facult- faculties to arrive at a decision. Um, then there's medium decisions where... We can use our reasoning, so these would be things like you know, should I buy this car or that car? And you know, buying a car is the kind of decision where you you know you can get a very good sense of what it is you're looking for in a car. Uh, it's very easy for you to weigh up different options and see how they compare to your criteria, and so you can make a, a fairly rational decision about whether to buy a car. Um, and then uh, she she or he uh, maybe I should just find out. All right, whatever. Then Ullman uh, says that there are also big decisions. Um, and big decisions are things like, uh, you know, should I have children? Should I, um, you know, get married to this person? Should I like move to a new country? Um, and in Ulman's framework, she says she, I don't know why I keep thinking it's a she. Let me just look it up.
0: You can just say they, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, it is, it is a she. I was right. Uh, so she says that in these big decisions, however much we agonize about it, uh, it is actually not possible to rationally make these, these kinds of big decisions. Um, and so if, for medium-sized decisions, we can do it rationally, but for the small and the big decisions, you know, choosing a cereal box and choosing whether to become a parent, uh, we actually can't rationally, um, can't, can't rationally make a decision. Uh, and, you know, ra- decision theory or rationality only helps us answer the medium-sized questions, Okay. Um and I think the the basic reason uh is that there are some decisions that by making them you change your values, you know? Ooh. Like when you become a parent, you now no longer have the same set of values as you had before becoming a parent. Actually, here's actually the, I don't know there's a really good example that I highlighted. Let me find that example. Uh and man, this book is just like so good. Like I'm not that into reading. Look, you know, I'm I'm not the kind of person that is like into reading that I can very easy just like read books. But this was this book was so good that instead of like listening to podcasts or whatever I'm walking on the street I've got my Kindle out reading the book while I'm walking on the street I was like glued to this thing it's unbelievable all right let me find this example uh, okay so in in, uh, in Allman's framework uh, she, she basically questions like whether it's possible for us to rationally uh, make these big decisions because uh, our value our, our value systems on either side of this decision are like discontinuous you know I can yeah here's an example uh i'll just read this out from the book i was told of a person who hesitated to have children because he did not want to become the boring type that all his friends had become after they had children finally he did decide to have a child and with time he did adopt the boring characteristics of his parent friends but he was happy uh and i think Ullman says that i suppose second order preferences are crucial to the way that we are to make sense of this story uh As old person, so as like the person he used to be, he did not approve of the person he knew he would become if he has children. His preferences at the time were not the same as the new person's preferences. Uh, As new person, however, not only did he acquire the predicted new set of preferences, uh, he also seems to have approved of himself having them. How are we to assess the question of whether he opted right, Uh, you know, whether he'd like made the right or rational decision when it involves like changing, yeah, your utility function changes
0: after having made that yeah. decision so and so like if you have it from the perspective of the old person it doesn't make sense yeah he's, now, he's now like this boring the dude new person. that he never wanted to become but if you make if you do if you choose it from the perspective of the new person then right. you're operating on information that you didn't have when you make right. the decision yeah, and yeah, so yeah. therefore it's it's not rational yeah and
1: so allman thinks that we we cannot assess the rationality of this choice because like there's there's no one utility function to assess it with respect to you know um Sorry to, I know utility function sounds like unnecessarily technical or whatever. Um, what's like a better way? Yeah, set, set of values, set of priorities or whatever. That's really what I mean by utility function, you know. Uh, and so, yeah, if we, you know, if you're trying to assess the rationality of uh, of his decision of like, you know, did he make the right decision by having kids? There's no way to do it because if you, if you do it with, with respect to his old values of like, oh, I don't want to be a boring 30 mm. something with kids he obviously made the wrong decision because now he's a boring 30 something with kids but if you do it with respect to his new values where you know he likes the boring family life or whatever then he made the right decision because like he likes it uh and so uman thinks there's no neutral perspective from which we can answer um the question about like whether he was better off for making making this choice uh and like rationality decision theory whatever you can call it it doesn't really give us a way to answer these questions uh, and so Ullman says that um you know in in big decisions we have to opt to do something she calls it opting where uh you can't assess the rationality of this thing just like you can't really assess the rationality of picking serial a over serial b assuming you, you like both of these serials okay. um and so she she says that like if you make a big decision in a non-rational way it's not it's not irrational it is a rational like you you just can't assess the rationality of this thing uh she says in order to be irrational about something, there must also be a rational way of going about it. Uh, and the rational way of going about opting is what she questions in general. Okay. Um, seems, seems reasonable. Right. So that, that's like one framework for thinking about it. Um, there's then another guy. I think this is a guy. I'm, I'm assuming this is a guy called Paul. Um, I was, Oh no, this is actually a woman whose surname is Paul. Um, yeah. And so, you know, Paul is another person who has done some thinking and written a book about this stuff. Um, and she explores, yeah, basically the same thing of like, how do you account for experiences uh, which result in what she calls epistemic and personal transformations? You know, how how, how can we think and reason about things that like okay, you know, change
0: change, act- us, change actually us? Actually, change us. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And so she, she gives the example of, um, yeah, suppose uh, you had the chance to become a, a vampire right and she she says as a member of the undead your life will be completely different you'll experience a range of intense revelatory new sense experiences you'll gain immortal strength speed and power and you'll look fantastic in everything you wear you also need to drink blood and avoid sunlight um and and she claims that because you cannot you cannot possibly know what it's like to be a vampire until after you're already a vampire you can't make an informed choice about whether to become a vampire or not Mm, like you can spend some time thinking about it but like if if you think you, you as a human can like theorize about what it's like to be a vampire and actually get anywhere reasonable, you know, you, you're kidding yourself basically. Uh, nothing you know or think you know about vampiric life is relevant to your choice because it's just, you, you, you can't know these things. Um, and uh, she says that, you know, even if other people have walked this path before you, even if like, you know, oh, you know, Three of my friends became vampires and they seem pretty cool with it now. Like they're pretty happy. You know, they're strong mm. and stuff. They, they drink some blood, you know, they don't go out in the sun, but they're pretty happy. Um, she she doesn't really buy that. She says, uh, your ignorance is unchanged by the fact that others have walked the road before you. Sure. Um, all of your friends uh, have already decided to become vampires and all of them tell you that they love it. And so you might reasonably expect that you'll feel happy with that choice if you make it. Um, but even so, you shouldn't, you should not kid yourself that you have any idea about what you're getting into. Um, and yeah, same thing about like parenthood, becoming a parent Mm. She says, uh, if you are prepared to ignore all of your subjective assessments about what it would be like for you to have a child and choose solely on the basis of empirical research. So, so like this thing about like all my friends are vampires and they're happy. Therefore I should, it's like rational for me to become a vampire. Uh, she says it's not really valid or rather you should be a bit cautious about that way of thinking. Um, she says that if you're in the case of parenting, if you're prepared to ignore all your subjective assessments about what it'd be like for you to have a child and choose solely on the basis of the empirical research, if you want to maximize your expected subjective value, uh, the research to the extent that there are clear results suggests that you should not have a child. Um, and I think, yeah, I think I read about this
0: recently or something that, um, is it like happiness levels dipping when you right, have a child? yeah. yeah. Like there's this these happiness a, surveys that a, say apparently like... Apparently like a classic thing. Yeah.
1: yeah, when you have... If you're a parent, you're less happy. Yeah. And yet everyone, <laughs> all of eternity, I mean, not everyone, but like plenty of people throughout, you
0: know, are choosing to become parents and will, will continue to become parents. Um, yeah, but it's, like, it's also, I think in, in the parent example, what muddies, what muddies the water is that there's like a term given to this sort of idea, a, a, a sort of idea that persists... In the gene pool by definition like the it is fulfilling to have children because the people who think it is not fulfilling to have children will not have children and therefore will be removed from the gene pool (laughs) effectively maybe i don't like these genetic arguments feels like you can come up with anything no i mean it's 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 less about the genetic argument and more about uh, this seems like a very clear genetic argument no it it's but but like i'm i'm misphrasing it because it's it's not about the genetic argument it's about the class of ideas that b- b- by virtue of them existing perpetuate themselves and okay, right ideas yeah. that are counter to that will just yeah not yeah. not per- per- perpetuate they won't reproduce themselves in the <laughs> yeah exactly so like, like like for example just off the top of my head someone who believes that speaking to other people is evil yeah is not the sort of idea that can feasibly reproduce yeah, in yeah. society because they're not going to speak to anyone yeah, to yeah. reproduce right. the idea yeah. for example yeah maybe this is a similar category
1: anyway this poor person she ob- she objects to this kind of thinking uh, she thinks that someone who conforms her choices to impersonal big data reasoning uh, sacrifices her own autonomy uh, and she's yeah she says that we feel that we don't make our choices rightly unless we make them from a personal point of view um, but in the case of big decisions we can't answer the question like all we know is that all we know is that the decision will produce a new and revelatory experience um, okay
0: so I mean i push I, I push back against that a little bit like pr- presumably she's not saying that you can to have zero insight into what this decision is like yeah yeah yeah. there's definitely she's there's, saying there's, there's definitely, some level of that yeah, yeah. you can possibly probably have but it's you know not as legit as you think it might there's, be there's
1: reasonable pushback okay, and, and agnes who's written this book uh kind of dis- dis- disagrees with a lot of both of these viewpoints that you put on to um okay and so um <clears throat> the- paul and orman i think draw a distinction between uh what they call self-cultivation and self-transformation. So, you know, there are some decisions that we might make that on the face of it seem like, oh, like you're obviously making an irrational decision here. You're obviously like screwing yourself by making this decision, right? Um, uh, Sorry, what do you mean? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we can imagine a dutiful daughter who moves to Israel in order to fulfill a promise to her dying mother. Uh, a younger sister who having observed an older sister's pregnancy and child raising firsthand, uh, feels she has an excellent grip on what those changes will mean for her. Uh, and a fan of vampire movies who believes that she wants nothing more than to be a vampire. Um, you know, in, in all these cases, like the, the daughter who moves back to the motherland for her dying mother, she recognizes that her life will become more difficult as a result. Uh, and she, but she still does it. And she sort of, um, you know, counts that as like a side effect of making this principled decision, you know? Um, and basically, in all of these things, where yeah, I, th- there are cases where you can seem to be doing something that screws you over. For example, becoming a parent seems to screw you over, yep. um, based on I don't know surveys and things. And and like if you if you consider objectively, like what's going to happen when you become a parent. Um, yeah, another thing that comes up in this is that when we're ta- when we're thinking about these like big decisions, uh, it's a lot more tractable for us to understand the downsides um, compared to the upsides. Mm. Like you know what your life looks like now you can imagine what your life looks like as a parent and you can see that oh okay i won't have time for the boys i won't have you know i won't be able to go on these all-night benders i won't be able to do x y z like it's much easier to understand what you will be yes. giving up by making a big decision than it is to understand what you will be gaining by yeah. making a big like, decision or
0: suddenly my life is going to have the sense of meaning and purpose that it didn't have before yeah or, or what the hell whatever. does that mean yeah.
1: yeah um and yeah so like uh, back, back to the thing about you know making seemingly irrational decisions that are not actually transformational um you know there's here's examples so so suppose that i want to be the kind of person who takes pleasure in exercise or the kind of person who's motivated to do more reading or who is inclined to wake up early um you know these kinds of things um when you you know it's it's a weird kind of want because it's a it's wanting to want
0: you know it's like Mm. i want to i want to want to exercise
1: yeah yeah it's like wanting to want and it's like a a second order preference um, they call it in the book right so it's like it is a weird kind of want but um she argues that this is this is not what we mean by like a big decision or a transformational decision because like you're still in line with your current set of values yeah like you have the second order preference of like you know, I want to live a healthy life or something or I want to like be productive. You know, you have these preferences already Mm. and like you're trying to uh, change, you know, change your actions in line with those existing preferences. Your values are not changing, right? Um, And so she says, yeah, I see having those new preferences as a way of satisfying current, more basic preferences. I like to get, have a long life or get more work done. Um, And, you know, we might try and do things, we might try and cultivate tastes. Uh, You know, we might want to like, be some be the kind of person who can appreciate opera or gourmet food or something. Um, but again, like we already have some underlying second order value of like, Oh, I want to be cultured or something. Mm. You know, I want to be on the yeah. X. And so like your values
0: aren't changing. You're just trying to like change. Yeah, your line like my sort of, I want to feel more like, like more of a man. Therefore I'm going to cultivate a taste for coffee. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's all that kind of stuff that you do. Yeah. yeah I yeah, want yeah. to, I want to be the sort of person who likes coffee. Yeah. I want to want coffee. Yeah. yeah. Coffee. Um, so, okay. cu- so so that's cultivational versus transformational yeah 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 changes and okay, so right.
1: like i think this would be a really good book for you because like your whole shtick is about helping people change and stuff is it like what is it oh, yeah helping be more productive and all this kind of stuff right yeah i guess so
0: sure but that's like how that would be the equivalent of your shtick being helping people think better about numbers
1: yeah if there was a book that was very clearly about helping people think better about numbers is, like is, is, really
0: is, is this a book that's very clearly about helping people be more productive
1: no but it's about the topic <laughs> It's not a productivity book, but
0: I think it is relevant oh, to... it's it. about the topic of change. Right. Okay, whereas yeah. your thing... Okay, fine.
1: <laughs> Maybe Tim Ferriss will write one of these books and then you'll read it. And myself. then I'll read it, yeah. Uh, okay, and then, um, okay, and then you know, one way, to, one way to explain why someone might change their value system is that there is, you know, in the same way that you might have a second order preference for like, I want, you know, I want to be the kind of person who goes to the gym, you know, the secular preference is like, I want to live a long life. Mm. You could say that, well, even if I'm, you know, crossing these chasms of like becoming a parent and stuff, yeah. it's still rational. If we, you know, if I say that one of my current values is that I seek new, new experiences, yeah. then it's like, okay, it's still rational to, to do that. Okay. Okay? Yeah, that's and that, and that's, that's one way of like explaining away what's going on and, and trying okay. to make sense of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, poor, the poor woman uh, in her book, she suggests that um that might be one you know if, if you're trying to fit all of this value change stuff within some kind of rational framework if you say that like oh you know i value novelty or something yep. um therefore i should th- have a kid then it's then <laughs> yeah. it's like rational um and yeah that's that's kind of one way to make sense of it uh she, yeah she calls this the the second order preference for preference change like i like i like, <laughs> I like it when my pre- preferences change that's why i'm like changing my preferences yeah uh, or trying to change my preferences um and so this like get this you know gets around the irrationality of making these decisions, uh, if you want to get on board with that that way of looking at things. Uh, but apparently Paul doesn't go into this in too much detail. Um, but uh, but the author of this book is actually not convinced by that. Uh, so when when Ulman talks about opting, you know, making one of these big decisions, hmm. um, she draws a distinction between two different kinds of opting. There's like an opting between like yes and no and an opting between like choosing choosing a or choosing b and these are like different kinds of things uh for example in a yes and no case you might choose between becoming a vampire or not in uh, a a you know choosing a versus b thing like both options can be transformative and you're choosing between them like you know like marrying jane or right yeah Yeah, exactly um ah and and yeah if you if you want to If you want to get on board with what Paul is saying, which is that like, oh, I have a preference for preference change. And Mm. so that's why I do new things. It doesn't really help you in the opting between X and Y thing. Both of them are transformative. Both of them are like, we'll we'll change your preferences after you do them.
0: Mm. Um, So now now what do you do? Like, where's your rationality now, bro? (laughs) Um, I guess if if you're buying into that, you may want to go for the one like between X and Y, the option that seems more rogue.
1: I don't know. I, I think it one seems, way of about it. It yeah. seems more rogue. Also it doesn't really make sense in this case because we're, we're saying that the, our values are going to change. Like yeah. what seems rogue what seems more rogue now might not seem more rogue with a mm. new set of values. Like you can't really evaluate that. Um and so um the author of this book is not too convinced by this, like, oh I have a preference for preference change. Okay. Probably don't. Um I, I, I find that convincing. Uh I think one other interesting thing that look we're we're almost done. Um one other interesting thing that comes up is that is that what you know? We're saying that, like, in the A versus B kind of decision, you, both options are going to be like transformative. Um, whereas in the yes versus no decision, only like the yes option will be transformative, right? Yeah. Um, but she brings up the point that, like, you know, for a lot of these big decisions, there's a good chance that, the, you know, both in a yes and no decision, there's a good chance that both things will actually materially change your life. I'll just like read out the thing I highlighted. Even when the no option lacks external practical consequences, it typically has internal ones. Uh, As Ullman points out, the rejected option enters in an essential way into the person's description of his or or her life. The shadow presence maintained by the rejected option may constitute a yardstick by which this person evaluates the worth, success, or meaning of her life. Opting against transformation can turn a previously unnoticed property of oneself into a focus of one's identity one might proudly wear the banner of child-free by choice, mm. uh, mortal by intention of like, I don't want to be a vampire. Um, our subsequent experience of value may well be colored or transformed by the fact that the other option was available and then we rejected it. Yeah. And so like, even with, with these big decisions, it seems like, you know, if I choose to become a parent, they'll transform me. And if I don't choose to become a parent, I'll be the same person. Well, not really. You will have like, actively chosen, to not, actively chosen a to not be a parent and that Therefore, might yeah. now be part of your identity and how you yes. think about things and it might change you as well damn
0: it's
1: <laughs> such a quagmire. <laughs> yeah uh yeah the other the other reason that um she doesn't like paul's thing about preference for preference change uh is that she of course she says it's troublingly one size fits all um if she's right then you'd use the same metric to make all sorts of different big decisions. You know, you'd think about adopting a child in the same way that you'd think about, you know, moving to a new country or, you know, if you're deaf and getting like an implant that can make you hear again, you you know, if, if Paul is right in saying that, you know, we do these things because we have preference for preference change, Mm. then that, that kind of implies that when you're thinking about adopting a child, the same thing is going on as when you're thinking about, uh, should I get this implant and not be deaf anymore? and seems to me that like probably different things are going on there it's not you're not just like seeking new you're not just seeking preference change
0: okay uh i feel like if paul were here to defend her her, her position she would say that i'm not saying that look this preference change thing has to be applied to 100 percent of circumstances i'm saying this could potentially be one way of resolving the irrational conundrum um
1: maybe i need to read paul's book but i said i i mean i think this is actually you know in all these like f- philosophy books and stuff, you know, the, the discussion is based on a very simple set of rules. In this case, one of the rules is that you don't have any idea what it's going to be like at the, on the other end of a transformative experience. Okay. Fair. Right? So like, I th- yeah. I think Paul is actually making the strong claim, not you're like watered down. Yeah. May- maybe that's what's going on, man. <laughs> I don't think that's, what want, okay. you know, um, uh, okay. Enough of enough, like shitting on Paul. Uh, Oh, this is good. And so, um, yeah, she, she kind of leads into describing what she called the decision model, which is how most people, I think, how Paul and Ullman look at this thing. Um, Ullman says this. She says, one would expect the opters. remember op- opting is like making a transformative decision, uh, one would expect the opters to take extra time and care in amassing relevant information as their evidence base to exercise extra caution in assessing the alternatives open to them. In short, one would expect an act of opting i.e. an act of making a big decision to be an exemplary candidate for the ideal rational choice explanations um, <clears throat> but there is some evidence that the attitude of people towards their big decisions is quite the opposite of what you'd expect mm. that is to say evidence seems to suggest that people are, are in fact more casual and cavalier in the way they handle their big decisions than in the way they handle their
0: medium decisions this comes up in a sort of in in the business context as well in that uh, I, I can't remember where I read this, but there's like a it's 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 like the the, the bicycle shed theory or something. Have you come across this? bike shedding? Bike oh hitting. yeah, how many yeah. people will like agonize yeah. over some like stupid pointless thing? Yeah, like yeah. For, like like for example, if if someone comes with a presentation about kind of the future direction of the company, that yeah. require it's a big decision. Yeah, no one's gonna want to compute that. And yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, fine, just go with option A. Yeah. Whereas someone comes with, you know, what what's the color of the bike shit gonna be? Yeah, yeah. Everyone can get on board with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And like, everyone wants to have an opinion because they feel bad about the fact that they didn't speak up for an opinion about the actual big decision. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, bike shedding. <laughs> it's it's much easier to have these like <laughs> often pointless <laughs> rational
1: discussions about medium well, yeah. decisions, whereas like big decisions are just much less tractable. Anyway, Ulman, uh, sorry, uh, Agnes is the person who actually wrote this book. Her whole point, she says, I propose that large transformational uh, that, that the large transformations in people's lives are rational, though their rationality is not best captured through the framework of decision making. So she in this book is going to propose some new framework for looking at these. Big transform, transformative things, which is still rational. Okay. Um, and the thing that she is like fighting against is the decision model. Uh, What's a decision model? Just give me a moment. Oh yeah, last couple of things I'll read out and then we'll call it quits. Um, but man, like we're literally every page of this book has just got some like mind blowing thing that I haven't thought about. Like it's unbelievable. Mm. It's it's crazy. It's like crack. It's just so good. Um,
0: okay. I've spoken like a true crack addict. <laughs> right i often think of think about like i think i often used to think about this in the context of alcohol Yeah. in that i don't drink and yet i'm very intrigued by what the experience of a drunk person is like right and i've tried to get so much data about this like <laughs> a asking friends and observing friends in in their drunken stupors yeah but also for example for example um like a, a friend would come back from like a drunk and be like oh my god ali don't let me ever drink again classic and kind of the following morning I'd be like so <laughs> hy- hypothetically, you know, if you were in my position where you haven't you've never drunk alcohol before and you don't know what it's like to be drunk, would you want to find out what it's like to be drunk? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people have said to me that I would rather I would rather not have tried yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a complete like it, 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 it's like a, a sort of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Having having tried, it changes your values about it. Right. And I feel like things like psychedelics, people say are, are similar experiences where mm. it is a truly transformative experience and it just changes the rest of your life right. in a way that you cannot predict a priori. Yeah, that's
1: a funny thing that I've come across with my friends who drink as well. Most of them are like, Oh yeah, I wish I'd actually. I, I wish i had I'd never really drunk any alcohol ever. Yeah, um, but there's a sense of like, ah, you know, I can't change now, kind of thing. So it, it's hard to really tell what's going on. Uh, anyway, final nail in the coffin against um, decision making. Against the decision making way of looking at things, uh, you know, whenever when you're talking about whether something is rational, you know, you have some utility function, you have some set of preferences, and you should choose the act that has the highest expected value, but. It doesn't really work because some decisions, you know, your current rationality as a non-parent, you know, it's weird to think that you can then judge your rationality as a parent from like the
0: same starting point kind of thing. Uh, was that the final nail in the coffin? No, no, no. Okay, because that was just a description of the decision. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Fine.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, this, this is another interesting thing that I actually found really compelling. So one thing that Ullman says is that, uh, wait, there was this like where the hell has it gone mate okay anyway i can't find this thing that i was thinking of uh maybe i imagined it uh Ullman says that one way uh you know so, sometimes you know big decisions happen uh not as like one discrete point at, at which like the thing happens but sometimes uh something happens like little by little and incrementally and, and we actually slowly transition from one set of values to another like from one person into another um and like Ulman suggests that uh there are, there are two ways to make big decisions. The first is by opting, i.e. just like making the decision deliberately. And then the second is by drifting. Uh, and she says that in many instances, one's uh, character and values sort of drift in incremental steps. So that like only in retrospect can you see like how, how much you've sort of changed. There's no like one point at which you go from like A to B. Uh, and <clears throat> Ullman kind of looks down on drifting. Uh, and she says that we often... Uh, deceive ourselves into drifting through an opting into drifting through an opting situation so like drifting into into a, transformi- a transformative mm-hmm. thing rather than like deliberately doing it okay. um by hiding from ourselves the magnitude of the change we're undergoing um so like all right. so Olman says it is possible for a person to proceed as a drifter while an informed spectator would judge that the person's situation is one of opting um When this happens, I think that we can view the actor as engaged in self-deception. The actor may be ignoring aspects of his or her decision situation which reveal it for what it is, uh, which is a first commitment leading down a core transforming irreversible road. So an example of this might be like, like there's a trope in you know, movies where, uh, you know, there'll be like someone who's married or something and then like some old flame will like slide into their DMs. Mm. Oh, I'm in town. Let's just get a drink, (laughs) you know, kind of thing. And then they kind of think, oh, well, it's just a drink, (laughs) you know, all all this kind of stuff. And so for the person on the inside, like they're they're (laughs) just- I've seen
0: this before. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. On the inside, they they sort of feel like they're, you know, it's like boiling a frog, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like there's no discrete point at which- it doesn't feel like they're making any discreet decision. Well, yep. like, oh, it's just a drink kind of thing. But for an onlooker, you can very clearly see that. Okay. At the moment that they decided to go out and have this drink, yeah. um, they kind of knew what was going on and they were deceiving themselves yep. um, by like choosing to drift rather than um, opt. opt. Uh, yeah. A stepwise increase in commitment. Uh, yeah, important life decisions are sometimes incremental in nature, uh, the end product of a series of small decisions that progressively commit the person to one particular course of action. Uh, a stepwise increase in commitment can end up locking the person into a career or marriage without his ever having made a definite decision about it. Um, and uh, Agnes says that this is a bit existentialist and Sartrean. I don't know I don't know what Sartre was about, but apparently, um, you know, Ullman's trying to imply that sometimes you know most human beings cannot handle the magnitude of the decisions that sometimes face them and so they drift instead of opting uh and they abdicate their freedom by deceiving themselves into thinking that they have no choice like you you take like one small step down a slippery road and like once you've taken that step it's like well i can't do anything about this now you know um anyway uh agnes disagrees with this and we'll hear all about it in the next episode of not overthinking yeah agnes's whole thing is going to be Somehow, like right now, we're thinking about this value change as like a discrete thing from like one set of values to another, sure. and that's that's kind of the only way to think about it under the normal sort of rational decision making type stuff. Mm. Um, but Agnes's whole thing is going to be, I suspect, that uh, there is some way of uh, of seeing this as like a continuous process rather than a discrete process. Okay. Uh, wait, there was just one other highlight. Okay, yeah. So here is the decision model that uh, I think Agnes disagrees with. In the decision model, agency is split into three stages. There is an initial deliberative stage in which one considers the transformation from a detached sort of point of view. Uh, You haven't yet started to transform and you're asking yourself, like, do I want to make this transformation? Right, that's stage one. Uh, This process culminates in a decision, which is stage two, to like, you know, become a mother or go back to the homeland or whatever. Uh, And then in stage three, you're sort of Doing the work of enacting the transformation, you know, if you're choosing to become a parent, you're now like doing the work of being a parent and, and things like that. Uh, and and yeah, in like in like the previous in Paul in Paul and Allman's ways of thinking about this, they focus on like on the stage two of like the concrete decision that you make. Uh, stage one you know, might not be present. Uh, for example, if you just go headfirst and something without thinking about it, uh, or if you like hold, your, hold yourself down this sort of irreversible road by you know, sort of drifting. Uh but yeah, she's just making explicit that like the normal framework for thinking about these kinds of decisions is that this like three-stage thing uh and that she is uh she is going to uh basically disagree with this. Right, let's end it there. I need to read more of this book. Awesome. Pretty good, right?
0: That's pretty good stuff. It's interesting. Like Which this is something is, I've never ever thought about before. Really? <laughs> yeah.
1: This is something that I always think about, but I always just run into a wall. Um,
0: well, what do you mean? Like, what was your thinking about this pre-reading this book? Sorry, well, what what was your thinking about this pre-reading well, the book?
1: There's so many things that like.
0: Is there something you actually thought about, like that? Hey, it's weird that we consider the rationality of a decision given that it's going to change our values.
1: I mean, not exactly that, but just okay. the idea of like value change and why and how does that happen? Like every conversation, you know, for example, with Lucia, we ran into this exact thing where there was none of us could reason about what was about why. I wasn't a vegan and why Lucia was, was a vegan. We couldn't really reason about what's going on there because of hitting this wall of like, well, there's these like two discrete sets of values and there's no reason to go from one to another, you know? Okay. Kind of like everything leads to this. I think even like when it comes to religion and stuff like that, like what makes someone decide to adopt, you know, these new sets of values? It, I think every road basically leads to this, this line of questioning. And I think for for some reason, for me, it's very important uh, for me to be able to sort of articulate or understand why I'm doing something and and to be sure I'm doing it for the right reasons. Mm. Uh, And so, yeah, I I often run into this dead end. um, Whereas I think a lot of other people are fine just like acting on things.
0: I don't like it when you say, for for me, I think deeper about X, but other people think about
1: Y. I'm I'm not (laughs) trying to present this as like, I, you know, I think more deeply about, it. I'm trying to say that for for me, it's important to be able to tell my, you know, give myself an, ex, an explanation that I'm happy with okay. about like one. I'm not trying to say this is you good. you feel like other people
0: to... don't do this? Sorry? And you feel like others don't do this?
1: Yeah. For example, you and I often butt heads around like, ex, you know, I think this is very linked to my like whole thing about intrinsic motivation and stuff like mm-hmm. that where you just seem to give much less of a toss about that stuff and you're happy to just kind of wave it away and get on with it. Whereas I think I dwell a lot more on like, you know, yeah. Like what's, that, what's actually going on when people do certain
0: things. I think this, it's all the same stuff. Okay. I'm still a bit suspect about this. Suspicious suspect, about this. About what? Just this whole, uh, that, that, that this is actually all the same stuff. But I mean, I'll, I'll, same I'll need to think about I, it, given that it's the first time I've ever thought about it. It's so.
1: all the same stuff. Okay. This is like... Literally, every, every road. And I think a lot of the roads that you spent time on, it all leads to these questions, man. And this book is just an exploration of these
0: questions. I think I'm failing to see how, how all roads lead to that question, but we can argue about that next time. Yeah. Cool. Um, I have a couple of insights. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be quick with them. Um, one is, both I came across in blog posts slash email newsletters this week. One is the idea of two-thirdsism, which was... Okay. Uh, uh, I, was it like... Taylor Pearson or someone who's who sounds similar to that and their sort of email newsletter uh the idea being that with a lot of like a lot of the stuff that we discuss um I think you and I like to have mental uh, okay I won't speak for you but I certainly like to have models for things that apply in 100 percent of cases and I feel uh, so, for, so for example the the doctrine of utilitarianism generally appeals to me and yet obviously at the extremes it leads you down a weird path. and i would like i would always find this a bit dissatisfying be like well mm, there there are aspects of this that don't work in all circumstances and and i would sort of run into that wall essentially but then the idea of sort of two-thirdsism is that for all of these all of these like life philosophies or mental models or anything uh you can actually accept that they're only two-thirds right Mm. uh for example, Tyler Cohen famously calls himself a util- two thirds two two thirds utilitarian i e in you know in the majority of circumstances this generally applies but of course there is a large swath of things in which it doesn't yeah and that's okay on a related note um i I was on a call with my business coach and he we, we, he and I were talking about like eastern versus western styles of thinking about stuff western style being very much that i want i i i want to rule and I want to not have there be many exceptions to this rule. Okay. Eastern style being more like, well, actually, you know, I've got, I've got my, I, 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 I can hold the two opposing values, sort of yin and yang style. And, you know that that's completely fine mm. uh, for example like the way i think about goals is like well goal equals striving equals self-improvement equals good but also goal equals dissatisfaction in the moment yeah uh equals striving for something that you might not, might not actually bring you happiness equals bad you're like oh damn what's what's the what's the what's the solution to the equation yeah, yeah. whereas the east allegedly eastern philosophy is more about oh you know man the, the there doesn't need to be a solution just understand the two sides of it and yeah. that you know hunky-dory right um and then the the, the third i suppose insight of the week was oh I, I I came across an amazing phrase called failing with abandon, uh, which is that thing that certainly like, like everyone I know does, which is like or, or that I do a lot, which is I'll set, I'll be like right I'm going to go to bed by eleven p.m. yeah and then I guess eleven fifteen I'm like well yeah I'm, I failed at going to bed by eleven p.m. therefore I might as well just stay yeah. up until four a.m. Yeah 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 all <laughs> like the time yeah failing with abandon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and as soon as I read that phrase, I was like, oh my God, this yeah. is so true. Yeah. <laughs> and the blog post was like, you know, what if you just don't do that? <laughs> you, you know, this, uh, this blog post is giving you permission to not do that if you don't want to. <laughs> You're like, well, I've watched two episodes already. I might as well watch the whole series. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like right now. Well,
1: it's now 4.02. <laughs> I guess I'll start work at 5. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's another thing I've been like, once I saw the phrase, I've started noticing it more in my life. That
1: is funny. Man, those good, good insights. Thanks, man. Um, I'll give you my insight for the week. It came from Twitter. Someone posted a highlight of a book. Pretty interesting. Mm. All right, so I, I I don't know what book it is. I can probably just look up what's From all right, there's a, a psychologist called Lisa Barrett who has. Uh, yeah, I think this comes under her theory of constructed emotion, which is that uh, there's basically only two. Universal components of the human experience. Um, there's basically like two axes of, 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 mm. of human experience. The first is uh, pleasantness, yep. as to does this feel good or bad. Do you know this thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so, the first is pleasantness about like, do I feel good or bad? Yep. And then the second is uh, arousal, uh, like yeah. how extreme, how like uh, extreme is this thing? And so, um, her theory is basically that really we only have these two axes. And all the different emotions that we're having are just culturally constructed sort of explanations based on this. And so if you're feeling uh, highly pleasantly aroused, (laughs) you might call that, you know, you would think, oh, I'm excited right now. Uh, And if you're feeling like... uh, you know, not, not if you, if you have like a pleasant, but not highly arising feeling, you might think, Oh, I'm satisfied. Uh, and if, if, if it's like, if if it's like highly unpleasant, you might think, Oh, I'm like scared Mm. or whatever, but there's really only these two axes and everything else, you know, what we think we feel is, is really just like socially constructed and it varies from culture to culture. Uh, and that like, I mean, the the point of this is to say that like, Hmm, you could choose to, (laughs) to view it differently. Uh, and so uh, there was another bit of this. Yeah, so she, if you agree with, uh, with Lisa Barrett, then for example, something like fear is a cultural concept and it's just a way of overlaying meaning onto being in a state of high arousal and high unpleasantness. Mm. Um, and if you agree with that, then it's possible to interpret or experience the high arousal, high unpleasantness in a different way. Mm. Uh, and she, she says that uh, my daughter, for example, was testing for her black belt in karate uh, her sensei was a 10th a degree black belt. So this guy's a you know, big, powerful, scary guy. Uh, and her daughter was having uh really high arousal, but uh, the, the sensei doesn't say calm down. He says, get your butterflies flying in formation. Uh, and that changed her experience. Her brain could have made anxiety, but it didn't, it made determination from like, from the same like position yeah. on these two axes. On the same input. Yeah. I, mean, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yes. Um, I don't know how yeah. much weight this, I, I don't know how like, legit this theory yeah. is I, I, I
0: remember coming across this i think last year it was an episode of invisibilia called like emotions or how emotions are made and it was an interview with this lady and it was oh. really it's it's like one of my favorite podcast oh, episodes nice. of all time it's sick you need to listen to it it's so cool. good um i'm also not sure how much i buy it but it was it was very compelling and yeah. it sort of ties into my own my own biased worldview about all emotions can be changed yeah, yeah, if yeah. you want them to all but right. yeah good stuff let's read we... out a review mate we're getting a a slew of bad reviews.
1: Oh, wait. Recently, yeah. Possibly because we've been reading the bad reviews. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. That how people know that they... Yes. Uh, yeah, we got a one... Star, we got a two-star review from someone saying, is it possible to stop using like in every sentence, please? I find it, like, impossible to take the host seriously. Wait, who says like in every sentence? I don't know. I feel I'm, like it's more you than me. It, yeah, possibly, possibly. I feel like you do more of the time. Someone did, else so. said, uh, good content would appreciate a slightly more female perspective. Says, uh, I listen to this podcast in the morning as a good start to the day and I enjoy it. Um, the only area that could use some improvement is the lack of a female voice. Uh, uh,
0: for, the, for the record, I wanted to have a female voice in this episode, but she said that she was not interested.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, anyway, this reviewer says, occasionally I've had to stop
1: listening as although I know meant harmlessly, you can come off as very slightly sexist. <laughs> um, but other than that, it's great content. Thank you. I'd be curious as to what uh, Yeah, genuinely, like yeah, you know, it's definitely keep leaving these reviews, but like also email us and tell and give us yeah. a bit more detail because it's helpful to know.
0: Yeah, because if we're both if we're being unintentionally sexist, yeah, that's, that's when, the kind of thing we we're, should not, know about. we're not we're not going to know about it if you just if you just stop listening and say by the way guys you are unintentionally sexist like well what did I say that was unintentionally sexist. And if you let me know, then I will revise my mental model of, of the world and, and not say that sort of thing again. Right. Anyway, but. yeah,
1: those are some, uh, some... Oh, we got a two-star review from uh, someone called Zainab in Nigeria. Two-star review.
0: Love this episode. <laughs> That's the description of the review. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you, Zainab from, from Nigeria, for the two stars. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. or DM us at NOverthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.